Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoked Week 2 Recap Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, joined by my, my two bros, Holt Smash and Mr. J.B. Brooks. What's up, Holt? Hey, Alex. Um, hope you're doing well. It's nice to hear from you, and I'm ready to uh, recap a fun week of college football. Me too, bro. Me too. Mr. J.B. Brooks, you alive out there? I am alive and well. And uh, I'm ready to uh, start recapping uh, some crazy action that we had over the weekend. You know, some people say, like, you, it, it, like in life, whenever you, you hurt, like, emotionally, sometimes it feels like it kind of feels good because it makes you feel alive, if that makes sense. The only reason why I'm saying that, JB, is because I'm, I'm obviously relating this back to Tennessee football. But I feel like you're past the point of hurting and you're just numb to it all. Oh, yeah. Apathy is definitely set in. Uh, for a lot of the uh, Tennessee fan base, and it's just a product of the last decade, honestly. And that's an apathy is what will kill a uh, program, any kind of program. Absolutely. Holt Smash was LSU beating Texas the bigger story this weekend, or was it Tennessee losing to BYU? I know it sounds kind of crazy to ask, but I feel like it's a legitimate question. Yeah, I mean, I think LSU is still a bigger story. I mean, you know, definitely sucks for Tennessee. Um, but I think after week one, we all kind of knew that they weren't going to be, you know, competing for the East or anything this year. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it sucks. But the bigger story is definitely LSU getting a big win on the road against the Big 12 team. And, um, you know, Joe Burrow showing out and having a huge game. Um, you know, I definitely think that's the bigger story. Is it time to start the Joe Burrow for Heisman tweet? I mean, almost. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't think I've ever had a player, like, change my mind before. Usually, once I make my determination on a player, like, I'm pretty much set, like, for good. And I kind of had Joe Burrow pegged as, you know, sort of a game manager, like, you know, good leader type player. Um, but, I mean, he's really, really showed out these first two games. I know, you know, Texas doesn't have, like, the most outstanding defense in the world. But, I mean, he just kept making plays and – you know, um, you know, you got to give his receivers a lot of credit too. They played really well, made some really good catches. But you know, LSU's always had good receivers, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good on offense. So, you know, got to give some credit to to Joe Burrow for for pulling through and leading LSU to a win. And then you know, you got to give some credit to Ed Orgeron for you know allowing the offense to uh, to open up a little bit. And finally, we're able to see uh, LSU have something in the passing game, which is uh, pretty dangerous for the rest of the conference. 
JB, is Joe Burrow been good so far this year because this is year two for him at LSU, or is it more so because it's year one of Joe Brady? Combination of both. I mean, Joe Burrow say both. By the way, I know that is obvious. That's most of the time. That's the obvious answer is both, or a little bit of both. Always like one that has more to do with than the other. I'll give more credit to uh, Joe Brady here. I think him bringing his um, his wittiness from the NFL, what he was able to do to the Saints offense, and you know, working under uh, Sean Payton helps him at the college level. And you know, being given the uh, passing game coordinator title, it's definitely brought in more RPO and more dynamic uh, offense to uh, to LSU, and it's definitely elevated the play on the field. And now that they have the threat of the passing game to go along with a uh, steady running game, which they've always had but was always predictable, it really changes everything for LSU. I mean, we always knew they are going to have a good defense, but now with the offense as good as it's looking, uh, it's going to be uh, a really incredible season, I think, coming up for LSU. Hold, I know you're a big office space guy, or at least you have the movie, because I think I borrowed it with from you once or seen it once. And uh, I, I'm thinking about the scene whenever the the Bobs are interviewing everybody who they're, they're thinking about uh, laying off, and they interview. I think it's Milton or somebody. One of them um, they interview and they ask them like, "What do you actually do here?" And I think that's like the question I have for Coach O because he's got the best defensive coordinator probably in the country in Dave Miranda, and we have a good uh, pass game coordinator in Joe Brady. Is, does Coach O do anything besides give us some good uh, sound bites? Well, I think what Ed Orgeron brings to LSU is just, you know, um, surreal excitement and just, like, how he carries himself and how he leads the program and obviously recruits at a really high level. Um, as the Texans just made a field goal there, thanks to JB for – Oh, he missed it? Yes, I he thought missed that, the extra point. I thought they said he made it. Nope, he but, missed it. By the way, well, I feel like there's a flag on the play. <laughs> For those of you listening, this game has already ended, but uh, we're still watching it live right now. Well, they roughed the kicker, though, so they're going to get another shot. Wow. By the way, I feel like um, the majority of SEC fans are Saints fans. I feel like it, it would be Saints, maybe a little bit of Falcons, but I think it's just all of Saints because I think all of – obviously, LSU fans are Saints fans, and I think, I think Alabama, I think, I, I think Mississippi State gets LSU – Titans got a lot of fans too. For the balls, I guess, and the and, obviously Vanderbilt. And Kentucky. Yeah. Titans need some fans. But anyway, this is an NFL podcast, Holt. Um, like you were saying, well, first of all, have you even heard the uh, quote I was talking about? Uh, what are you even doing? Or what do you actually do here? Yeah. Uh, what would you say you do <laughs> yeah. here? Yeah. That exactly. would be the line. And that was the, it wasn't Milton, it was the jump to conclusions guy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't um, think of his name because Milton's a safer guy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of his name either, but yes, that is a, a really good movie. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, I would just I like Ed Orgeron. Um, I just think he's a good fit there. I think you know people really buy into him. He's obviously you know recruits really well, um, and I mean, you know, he's kind of allowed uh, his coordinators to to do the work. Um, <clears throat> you know, what I mean, he's really allowed Dave Miranda to take over the defense. And uh, that's obviously paid off for him. And, you know, now, um, you know, letting Joe Brady kind of take over the offense a little bit and uh, be a little bit more aggressive in the passing game has definitely paid off for them. So, you know, you got to give Ed Orgeron some credit. Um, you know, it's a lot easier said than done. But, uh, you know, I'm not really sold on him just quite yet as being like some awesome head coach. I still think, uh, 
you know, I still think he's got some upset losses um, potentially in the future. It's it's weird to think about because you think about Coach O. And you, what I, I think of obviously the sound bites of him speaking Cajun and you not being able to understand any of it, but just being funny. And also, I think about him going to like the interview for trying to go from the interim coach to the head coach when he brought that huge binder full of plays or whatever uh, kind of notes he had to like get the LSU job, whatever plan he had in place. But yeah. you know, what I'm talking about JB. Is that what you're about yeah. to say? I mean, he, he absolutely killed in the interview, and that's why uh, Joe Oliva ended up uh, keeping him and removing the interim tag. I mean, Ordron really wanted that job. I mean, he's a Louisiana man through and through. I mean, he's perfect for that LSU job. And I'll, I'll add on one more thing. Like, as, as impressive as LSU has looked so far through the first two games, LSU being improved on offense, to me, only increases the SEC's chances of possibly getting two teams in the playoff because I mean, let's, if you look at LSU's schedule, I mean, as of right now, they look better than everybody on, on their schedule except for Alabama. Let's say if they run the table and go 11-1 and lose to Bama, I mean, you can't keep them out of the playoff, can you? I mean, is that the, is that the goal here? I know we're SEC Pro Podcast, but do we want four SEC, or two SEC teams in the uh, playoff, or would you rather have more diversity just as a college football fan or pure college football fan? As a, as a college football fan, you want diversity. But my point is, saying is that uh, with LSU being a lot better than – looking a lot better than they are, that gives the SEC three teams that could potentially make the playoff. And just, you know, like I was just, just reiterating, if LSU, you know, goes 11-1 just because of how how they appear so far compared to everyone else, you almost can't keep them out of the playoff if they're 11-1 and with their only loss being at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I was more asking for you, you personally, JB. What do you like better if uh, – Four teams from different conferences or two SEC teams and then two other teams in the playoff? I want I want the four best teams in it. And right now, three of the five best teams in the country reside in the SEC. So, absolutely. I mean, if it's gonna if it requires two SEC teams, so be it. So but I, don't want, I don't want some crappy conference champion from another – from, you know, from another Power Five making it just because they want representation, you know, from around the country. To me, it needs to be the four best teams, even if it is, you know, three teams from the South and then Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, I mean, I guess you're, you're ultimately saying you don't really care if it's SEC or not SEC. You just want the four best teams, which I think that's what most everybody wants. But me personally, um, I'd rather have a little bit more diversity um, and have one SEC team and then, uh, you know, other conferences. But that's just me personally. Holt, let's, uh, let's go a little bit um, out of the conference just for a second so we can just touch on some national games. Um, I guess this is just a, an either-or question here for you, Holt. More surprising this weekend, Michigan beating Army in overtime or Felipe Franks going 25 for 27 against UT Martin? Um, that would definitely be Felipe Franks. Um, I don't think too many people are surprised by Army um, in that game, keeping it close. Um, what was the line in that game? You it know? was 22 and a half, I believe. Um, you know, a lot of people were on Army to cover that spread. And, um, you know, I was – I was kind of surprised that Michigan's offense wasn't able to run the ball better with a little bit more authority. I mean, I understand struggling with, you know, Army's offense and the triple option and stuff like that, but I don't understand why they weren't able to just kind of run over Army on defense. I mean, you're talking about some really highly recruited players that play in Michigan against, you know, some guys at Army that are not as highly recruited, obviously. And it just seems like they should be able to just run over them and they just were not able to get the running game going. You know, Shea Patterson kind of is not – I mean, he's, he looks okay. He converted some third downs, but, you know, 
I still am a little bit worried about that. But, yeah, Felipe Franks throwing, uh, you know, even if it is against UT Martin, is the Saints just won. Um, and JB's really excited about that for some reason. Yeah, why um, are you excited about that, JB? Why are you excited about the t- Saints winning? Uh, I like the Saints. I like Drew Brees. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of have been rooting for them a little bit this year after what happened, you know, at the end of last season. They got a chip on their shoulder to the entire NFL, and I think they're really going to be on a mission this year. So I find myself casually rooting for them just because of how they were robbed last year. It makes me mad because you, you NFL hop more than anybody because you're, you're Aaron Rodgers slash Green Bay Packers. No, I don't NFL hop at all. I don't even have a team. So I don't want you to throw allegations here when there aren't anything to prove. <laughs> Sexual allegations against me. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, all right, hold. So you're saying – Felipe Franks is more more impressive uh, going 25-27 just because we think he generally sucks as a quarterback. I got you. Um, sticking with that Army-Michigan game for a second here, Holt, this is just a question I've wondered over the years. Um, Army's actually had a pretty good football team over the last three years under um, their coach. What was Jeff Munkin. Jeff Munkin, yes. So I'm actually looking at his record now. 8-5, and 10-3, and 11-2. The last three years, and they won all three bowl games. They finished last year number twenty in the coaches' poll. This year, they're probably gonna, I would, I would think, win a lot of games as well. He uh, he coached at Georgia Southern before that, before Army had a couple, few good years um, while they were FCS team. Um, his name has come up, came up a little bit in uh, head coaching jobs for bigger schools. Um, but do you think a true triple option coach like this can get a big time job, even with how good his record is or has been? I mean, I think maybe some power five team would be interested in him. Probably not a lot. It would have to be a school most likely that um, is not in a fertile recruiting area that maybe has some kind of recruiting restrictions, like maybe an academic first school um, at the power five level, you know, um, because I think if, it allows you um, because when you run that offense, you don't really necessarily have to recruit at a really high level. Um, you can kind of, you know, just bring players in that maybe aren't as highly recruited um, and still be pretty successful. So I think it gives some schools like an opportunity to kind of um, not spend money on facilities and, uh, you know, not have, have a, one of those huge recruiting budgets like some and just kind of be able to be like, you know, hey, like we're just going to be competitive and that's pretty much it. And, um, you know, maybe a school that, you know, doesn't have a lot of success in the past and just wants to kind of be competitive without having to make, like, a huge commitment. I think that would be a, a good uh, fit for them. Um, you know, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to throw out, like, any, any names specifically, but I mean, maybe, like, a Rutgers or someone like that. But you don't, you, don't specifically, you don't specifically see, like, a team that – at least a power five team that thinks of themselves as a power or what's compete, not, not saying Tennessee specifically, but someone like Tennessee, um, like a team that's in a, because I mean, if you run the the triple option, I mean, your ceiling as a program is so low. Like, I mean, because you can't, you're not going to be able to recruit good players. If you run a triple option, like no, no players, no high school players are going to want to come play in your offense. Like it doesn't matter what position they play. There's no offensive player that's going to want to come play on your team. And even if you're a defensive guy, I mean, you're still going to have to go up against a triple option and practice every day. And it's just, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it would be a little bit easier to recruit defensive players, but it's just when you can't recruit, like, I mean, you're just not going to win at a high level no matter what offense you run. I mean, you may be able to, to compete 
and be like a competitive team, but you're never going to be able to like win a national championship or win the conference or recruit at a high level or anything like that. I mean, you're pretty much like punting. It's basically the equivalent of like punting on like third down um, as a program. If you, if you are at least a halfway decent program and you hire a triple option coach, in my opinion. That being said, hold, do you still enjoy watching the triple option on TV? Yes. No, I definitely do. Um, especially, or at least when it's not against my team. Yes. Uh, you know, I still remember that Orange Bowl like a few years ago when State played Georgia Tech and they ran for like 500 yards against Mississippi State. And they JD did, can probably like, didn't have a defensive coordinator for that game. But yeah. I was going to say, JB can probably feel your pain with that whenever Georgia Tech played Tennessee in the uh, Chick fil A game that we were actually at, JB. That was a while ago. But um, that was, you know, the difference between, you know, this. Jeremy Pruitt teams and Bush Jones teams as that Bush Jones teams, they looked horrible, but they, they lost, they won a lot of crappy games like that Georgia tech game. They should have probably won by a lot more, but they at least won it over time. Now Georgia state and BYU, they didn't look great, but they lost both games. So it's just, <laughs> and you know, it's only year two. So maybe, you know, maybe he um, is setting the bar low. So next year he can, you know, win 11 games or something like that. Yeah. I mean, We'll probably get to it uh, sometime in this, and you know, in the next few minutes in this podcast about how I break down the uh, state of the volunteers program and how they appeared against BYU. And there were some positives from uh, that you can take from that game for some ball fans that uh, you can carry forward. I mean, I can definitely say that uh, there was a lot of improvements in that BYU game, but there is one common denominator that uh, really held. Uh, Tennessee back in that game, and I will get to that when we recap the game. Okay, we will get to that then. Uh, Holt, who deserves more respect in week two uh, for their win? Kentucky covering against Eastern Michigan or Ole Miss uh, winning against Arkansas and uh, looking a lot better than they did against Memphis? Okay, so are you, with that question, are you comparing Eastern Michigan to Arkansas? I don't know. They both scored 17 points, though. I mean, I feel like that's maybe not, like, the worst comparison I've ever heard. Um, it sounds – You know, honestly, I was actually pretty impressed with Ole Miss. Like, I don't know if it was just Arkansas playing really bad, but I definitely thought that Ole Miss took, like, a little bit of a step forward. Um, you know, their defense played another decent game. Um, you know, I know that Arkansas isn't, like, the best offense in the world, but, you know, holding – Memphis to 15 points, and that was kind of with Memphis's help, I will admit. Um, and then holding Arkansas to 17, even though I think one of those touchdowns on a fumble return for a touchdown. You know, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, we didn't see this from Ole Miss last year. I mean, we saw them giving up, you know, like 35 points to Southern Illinois or someone last year. So, I mean, it definitely looks like that Ole Miss defense has improved a little bit. So, you know, you got to give them a little bit of credit. Matt Corral definitely played better in week two. Um they're starting to create some explosive plays, getting those receivers involved. And, um, you know, I mean, I I was – you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Ole Miss is good now, but, you know, I feel like that was a solid bounce-back win for them. You know, they were finally able to get uh, your boy Scotty Phillips rolling. You know, 26 carries, 143 yards. And Corral had a, had a really good game passing as well, 16-24, 246 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, you know, you definitely – have to feel better if you're an Ole Miss fan after week two, um, you know, and then again, on the flip side, if you're an Arkansas fan, you got to be thinking like, you know, what's the deal? Like, 
Ole Miss is probably the worst team we're going to play all year, and we just completely look like crap out there. <laughs> yes. Uh, are you um, – you, you're high on Scotty Phillips' hold, but not as high uh, as you are on Colin Hill, correct? Uh, from a pure st- talent standpoint, um, honestly, I feel like Colin Hill might be the best running back in the SEC this year, and that includes uh, DeAndre <laughs> Swift. Yeah. Yep. Well, he is leading the league in rushing yards. He's actually, I, I looked it up earlier today. He's third in the nation, I think, in rushing yards total. Um, I don't think that's something that's going to necessarily just go away. I don't know if he'll end up, you know, with 1,700 yards or something like that before the year's over, but I could see him getting like 14 to 1,500 yards. I mean, they're, they're featuring him a lot. And well, I say that, but he only had 14 carries for this game and had still had 123 yards. Um, I haven't watched him enough this year, but I remember watching him last year and I remember thinking he was good, but you also told me a lot about him. And I was also comparing him to Daryl Henderson uh, from Memphis. So like I had to make sure like Daryl Henderson was still a step above, but um, Colin Hill is a good running back hole is all I'm saying. No, he definitely is. And, you know, I know we retwe- retweeted it, um, but he had that really cool run where he broke like three tackles and like jumped over somebody. So, you know, just kind of like a, you know, a little bit of what he can do. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you would like to see a little bit more in SEC games. He got off to a really good start last year as well uh, before he injured his hamstring in the LSU game and really wasn't the same after that. Um, but it looks like he's back to a little bit of a scare right before him. Looked like he maybe had a knee injury and uh, he kind of walked gingerly off the field and, um, you know, with the medical staff and, you know, you're really worried about him. But he came back, he started the second half and, you know, played played really well. So, you know, he's definitely someone uh, – he was my breakout player going into the season. I definitely feel pretty good about that so far. And, um, you know, another uh, injury in this game as well is um, Tommy Stevens actually got injured um, about halfway through the second quarter. Um, really came out, like, on fire. I think completed his first nine passes of the game for, you know, 105 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, before that injury so I mean he looks like he's in complete command of the offense and you know they said that he could have returned had the game you know not already been in hand when he was injured but you know we'll see if he's ready to go this week but he looks to be in full control of the offense and you know they haven't played like a great defense yet um you know Southern Miss is definitely not a bad defensive team but still you know Conference USA team um so it'll be interesting to see if uh, he can keep that up going forward Hey, hold on. How do you spell Stevens again? It's actually S-T-E-V-E-N-S, not oh. P. Yeah. You have to get on our, uh, our our marketing person, our social media person, to make sure they spell it right next time. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe the social media person was just way too busy making sure they were spelling Garantano and Tagovailoa and all that and crap Felipe. right. And Felipe. Well, first of all, Felipe spelled wrong. And his, even, his mom even admits that she spelled it wrong accidentally on the birth certificate, and that's why his name is spelled that way. I, I don't think but, I'll yeah, ever. I did. I did. I did spell all the weird names right, and then I messed up one of the easy ones. But I don't. Good. I, not me, but the, the social media person. Oh yeah, your social media person. Um, we'll have to have our uh, weekly weekly talk with them meeting. Excuse me, performance review next week with them and have it uh, mentioned there. Um, I don't think I'll ever spell Tua's last name or even say it because it's just too much for me. I know JB's got it down, and I think you even got it down now, Holt, but I'll always just say Tua just because it's just easier for me. And um, I already had enough trouble pronouncing Ellinger's and whoever else's quarterback's last name. So, yeah, Emu. 
Tam, Tamu, Tamu. <laughs> it's all right, Alex. Not all of us can name uh, really good quarterbacks. Right, right. Um, other games. Um, I feel like we need to say the BYU Tennessee game for last year because I feel like you might want to have a whole show for that. Um, Holt, was the uh, was the LSU Texas game everything you ever wanted it to be? You know, it was a really good game. Um, I have to say, like one negative, I definitely was a little concerned with uh, LSU's defense. Um, I mean. I mean, I didn't think it was a very bold statement at the time before the season, but basically said that I thought LSU would have the best defense in the country this year. And, uh, you know, they looked really good in the first half. You know, a couple, a couple of goal line stands, I think it was 20-7 to seven at halftime. Um, and it looked like they were really starting to, you know, take advantage of the game. And then uh, Texas got the ball to start the second half, I believe. And they had like a 13-play drive where they just went like right down the field and scored a touchdown. And um, – you know, you could just tell that that LSU defense got really worn out and they just really struggled in the second half, you know, um, giving up 31 points in the second half. So um, definitely a little concerning there. Um, Sam Ellinger had a huge game, threw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. Um, you know, they, they slowed down the run pretty well, but, you know, you'd have liked to have seen them um, do a little bit better on defense in the second half, but it really didn't matter because Joe Burrow just – completely put on a show and you know this this Texas defense is maybe slightly overrated just because they lost a bunch of guys off their defense last year um but either way it's still impressive when you come out and throw for 470 yards and four touchdowns especially um when the other team is matching you score for score and Burrow just kept just kept fighting and just kept uh continuing the game and obviously had that huge uh, – I believe it was the third and long where they scored that last touchdown on yeah, 61 to, uh, to win the game. So, that was a really impressive, gutsy performance by, uh, by Burrow and those receivers. A couple follow-up points here for you, Holt. Was it eye-opening for you today whenever our social media person tweeted out that LSU has the, I think, seventh or eighth uh, best – defense in, in terms of yards allowed per game in the SEC? Question one. Um, question two, you mentioned uh, Texas's defense being over overhyped this year. Were they were they supposed to be really good this year? Because well, I always thought they were going to be bad this year because they lost so much left from last year. I mean, I don't know if people were saying they were going to be awesome, but like I feel like people were basically saying Texas in general was going to be a really good team. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't maybe I didn't mean like you know, the, the defense was supposed to be great or anything, but I think people expected, you know, Texas to just be like a good team in general. I don't think people thought that they were going to be like bad on defense or anything, but they definitely did lose a lot of starters from last year's team. And, um, but, you know, I mean, LSU played really well and they had three receivers with over 120 yards. So um, that's pretty impressive. And as far as LSU's defense being ranked seventh in SEC, is that just because they played Texas and it'll – Get yeah, I mean, that, that game definitely did get kind of away from them a little bit. I mean, you know, just like I said, that, that long drive to open the second half, they just never really recovered from that. And, um, I mean, you have to give Texas some credit. And, I mean, you have to – I mean, look, I always say, like, um, as much as crap as I talk about the Big 12, like, it is really hard to go undefeated in that conference because you're literally playing a shootout every single week. And it's just really – you know, those shootouts can really go either way sometimes. And – um you know, I was kind of hoping that LSU could maybe control the game a little bit more and um, establish their will on defense. But, you know, they just kept uh, going score for score with them. And, 
Uh, Texas was able to kind of turn this into a shootout, which I think is what they wanted, but LSU was able to come through in the end. JB, did you hear that LSU did not have AC on in their locker room? I did, but, you know, guess who was prepared for it? Coach O himself, because he called Tech because they were the away team in Austin the week before and uh, got a you know pretty good fit on the situation. And he ended up bringing a lot of fans to blow in the locker room to give a lot more uh, ventilation and swirling air and, and made the best of the situation. And, you know, that's not, that's not good hospitality by the people in Austin. So, yeah, kudos to uh, Coach Orgeron for staying on top of it. And uh, let's not give any credit to Texas here. They definitely knew what they were doing. Doesn't Texas play LSU next year or in the future? So like, they, yes, they play in Bat. They will be going back to Baton Rouge. So you don't you don't want it to be the other way around. I mean, Austin, Texas is really high. I mean, it was like one hundred two, one hundred three game time. It is, but the humidity wasn't as high as you'd expect it. I think the humidity was maybe some actually below thirty percent. The humidity will be a hell of a lot worse in Baton Rouge when they go there. If they do, in fact, return the favor, which I don't, I don't think they would. I think they'll actually uh, be the bigger, bigger person, and uh, keep the AC on for their, for their fellow friends. Uh, so that was a really good game. I think that one lived up to the hype uh, for week two, and it was game day and everything. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, JB, Texas A&M, Clemson. We were all excited for this. A&M did cover, and I think we all had that picked correctly but were you excited about this game or did this game just just not do too much for you I mean going into it I was really excited but you know after the game is over yeah I'm 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 really kind of disappointed in uh, A&M's offense now the defense on the other hand really impressed because they kept uh, this game closer than it could have been uh, they really kept giving A&M's offense plenty of chances to uh you know make to uh, keep this game uh close and uh give giving them opportunities to uh, stay in it. But uh, the offense for A&M really just uh, wet the bed in this game. I mean, I was really – I called for Kellen Mond to have a breakout game, and he just uh, didn't really do enough, in my opinion. And, I mean, also – and they also lost uh, Corbin, their uh, main uh, running back out for the entire season after this game. So, not a good day for Texas A&M. But, you know, this was a game in the preseason we expected them to lose. But I really – had a good feeling about Aiden going into this one that they might be able to uh, potentially steal this in Clemson, but you know they did cover, so I mean that's that's one thing positive that you guess bring out of it, along with the uh, the defense's performance. You know what they say, Holt: good teams win, great teams cover. Exactly. So they've got the loss, but they're still a great team because they covered. Um, JB, can we officially announce the sophomore slump for Trevor Lawrence? No, I'm not going to get on board with that at all. He's now going into uh, ACC play, and I think they, they play uh, Syracuse next week, which to me is the last game on their schedule that could potentially be a game that could give them fits. After that, I think they're going to run the table. And they're playing a Syracuse team coming off a blowout loss to Maryland, and they're playing in the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. So, I mean, that could be a game that, they, that could be sneaking up on them, but – to me, I think that's that's really the last chance for Clemson to lose this year until the playoff. The last couple of years, Syracuse has actually given them trouble. I think they lost to Syracuse. Was it not last year, but two years ago? Yeah, they lost to Syracuse two years ago, and then last year, Clemson had to bring in their third-string quarterback yeah. uh, to play the game and barely beat Syracuse last year. They had to make a comeback to win at home. Right. So, yeah, that Syracuse was... is in trouble. 
that was unfortunate timing because that was just when Kelly Bryant announced he was going to transfer. And just after that, Trevor Lawrence went down and they had, they couldn't bring him back for that game. So right, that was, and they that was won third quarterback. So, Holt, would you say that um, based on the eye test that Alabama is the best team in the country or would you still say Clemson? Um, I mean, that's tough. I mean, before the season, I actually said that I thought Alabama was better um, just because I like their defense more. But Clemson's defense was really impressive in this game. Um, you know, not that I consider a Texas a to be like some amazing offense. I do think that they're good on offense. Um, but I was really impressed with Clemson's ability to slow down the running game. And, um, you know, like on the other side, kind of disappointed in AM's inability to run the football. Um, you know, Kellen Mond missed some open receivers early in the game, and I thought Jimbo had a really good game plan. They just weren't able to put it all together. You know, they had that long drive that resulted in a field goal, and it just felt like um, it felt like when they had to settle for the field goal right there that you knew that they were in trouble. And, uh, you know, the defense played a lot better than I think at least I expected them to. I expected Clemson to be able to throw the ball a lot better than they did. And uh, But, you know, you got to give A&M's defense credit. I mean, that secondary has, has come together pretty well, and you know, they they slowed down the run. It You know, they weren't great against the run. But, I mean, ETN only had 53 yards on 16 carries. So, you know, he's considered like a Heisman candidate. And Trevor Lawrence is, you know, like the best college quarterback that I think I've seen in, you know, my life. And um, he's, you know, was held under 270 yards and, you know, had an interception. So, I mean – Definitely pretty pedestrian numbers for that Clemson offense, and uh, but definitely a little disappointed in AM's ability to run the ball. Uh, don't remember what your question was, but I hope that answered it. <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering if you were going to answer it. Uh, you you gave me a non-answer, but you did break down the game a little bit, which is appreciative, of course. Um, I was asking, do you think Alabama's now is better than Clemson, or is Alabama uh, or is another team yeah. better than Clemson based off the? No, I still go with Alabama right now. I like. I was impressed with Clemson's defense, um, but Alabama's defense has been pretty stifling so far. I mean, obviously they haven't played anyone as good, but, um, you know, I still give Alabama the nod right now because I just – I still trust their defense more with, with Nick Saban and uh, those guys they have. And let me add on to this, Alex. I do I do agree with Holden. Alabama is better than Clemson. But I also would say with the emergence of LSU's <laughs> offense, I think you can almost argue that they're better than Clemson as well. LSU is definitely a top-five team, and – I'd argue that they're a top three team as well. Are we all collectively for LSU beating Alabama in uh, Tuscaloosa this year? No, we're not rooting for anybody to win that game. Why we not? See, but I, what I want to see from LSU is them score some points against Alabama. And what, from what we've seen from the offense, I think I would go ahead and put some money down that they're going to be able to get at least some points against Alabama this year. I just want both teams to have fun. Dang, both y'all don't want to see – I want to see LSU win – just because it would, like, make the rivalry a little bit more even. And, like, now Alabama could actually take the game more serious. Not that they don't. Right. They picked the wrong year for this to be in Tuscaloosa. If this was in Baton Rouge this year, it would be a lot more intriguing, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you, you would say that. You say that. But going into the game in Baton Rouge last year, I mean, they they were pretty hyped for that game, too. And I don't think – I mean, Alabama was still favored, I think. But it wasn't by that much in that game to start the game. So I think was, they were double digit. They were double digit favorites going into that game. Hmm. I just I feel like that game was really hyped last year, and I feel like this game this year, LSU Alabama should be more hyped. Uh, but it's in Alabama, so it's going to be a little tough. Um, and Alabama doesn't lose at all that much. Two but. months. Well, we still got two months for that game, so we still got a lot of football to be played. 
lot of football, a lot of football. Is there anything we can tell from this uh, this Alabama New Mexico State or Georgia Murray State game? Any eye opening things for y'all to mention here? Uh, Alabama uh, at times struggled to uh, move the ball on the ground. Uh, I wouldn't say struggled, but the ground game is not up to sta- uh, Saban's standards, and he even talked about that and as a post game pressure they still got to get better at running the ball as far as passing game like they got they're they're so good passing the ball but they still got to be able to generate a little bit production in the running game to me in order to uh you know be at the surefire pick to i want it all this year even though they are still my pick as of now but to be the absolute surefire pick they definitely got to get better on the ground that's the one thing i noticed from them is that the, the running game was inconsistent at times. Holt, why is uh, DeAndre Swift not better than Colin Hill? Everybody would say that DeAndre Swift's better besides you. Um, I just think that Colin Hill's a little bit more of a physical runner. He's a little bit better between the tackles. I think Swift may have him on the speed, but I think that Hill has more enough speed, and I just think that Hill is just a more complete running back, honestly. You do like watching Swift play, though, right? Of course I do. Especially yeah. that big offensive line, like – yeah, I mean, that's really what I enjoy when I watch Georgia's. I just love watching their offensive line play. I mean, they just, like, plow people into the ground. It's really fun to watch. You know, Hill, I was just looking him up. He's 5'11", 215, so that's pretty good size for NFL running back. And he's a junior this year. Do you think he, he will come out after this year? Um, I think as long as he stays healthy, he most likely will. Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of one of those things that's, like, especially if you're a running back, like, you don't have a long shelf life in the NFL, and you kind of have to take advantage of um, – you know, your youth while you can. Yeah, I mean, I expect Swift to come out after no, this year. We're not, like, we're not, we're not like said, yeah, yeah, like Holt said, as long as he's healthy. But he's a first-round pick if he's healthy going into the draft. So, yeah, he's, he, this is his last year at Georgia. Well, JB, uh, we were actually talking about Hill, or at least I was. I don't know if you were. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. No, I, was, I was talking about Hill, too, but I, I agree on Swift as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I like, the question, JB. You can't go wrong with either of those two. Uh, Hill has definitely put up better numbers so far this season, so you got to give the edge to Hill. Yeah, that was just a mini what the fuck JB moment. We haven't had that many this year. I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping and pulling for some more JB because it does make it a little bit more. I'm not. <laughs> I know you're not, but it does make it a little bit more entertaining. Uh, let's move on to some other games. Holt, or I'll just stay with you, JB, since you're 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 the talking mood right now. Um, Auburn won twenty four to six against. Tulane, and that technically is a cover because I think the line was 17 and a half, and that's 18 points. Um, not a super impressive win. However, Tulane's not bad this year, and my takeaway from this game is that it's not as unimpressive as it looks on paper. No, it's not, and uh, Auburn's defense played really well against this Tulane offense. <clears throat> but, I mean, this is – Holt even talked about going into this game. He thought it would be kind of a low-scoring game because this is going to be a more of an experimental game for Auburn, and – and Bo Nix uh, made a little bit more progression. In the, he completed just a little more than 50% of his passes. Uh, he didn't throw an interception. That's positive. Uh, Whitlow averaged 4.2 yards on per carry on the ground, which was really good. And uh, even Gatewood was able to get some snaps as well, and he looked pretty good at times. So, I mean, it was it was a productive game for Auburn. It, was, it wasn't pretty, but, you know, they got the W. They were able – Gus Balzano was able to uh, get some playing time for some other players that didn't get to play in game and was able to do some experimenting and they got another breather coming up next week so overall weekend for Auburn I would agree with you their defense does look outstanding and 
based off of looks, I mean, LSU did play Texas, so Texas is a little bit better offense, obviously, than Tulane. But Auburn might have one of the best defenses in the SEC, too. Um, you, if you're ranking defenses, I think you'd have to put Auburn up there with Alabama and LSU. And yeah, I'm, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Uh, even Florida you can put up there, too. I mean, there's a lot of uh, solid defenses in the yeah. SEC season. JB, is Ryan Holinsky better than Jake Bentley was his freshman year? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to judge yet because it was only one game, but he did have a really good debut against uh, Charleston Southern. He threw a pick, but he uh, completed, uh, I think it was about 80% of his passes, which was, you know, really good. Uh, gained a lot of confidence, uh, you know, blowing out a really bad Charleston Southern team, but that's what you want your freshman. You want to be able to play against a softer opponent, build your confidence up because – Next week, uh, they go from the softest opponent on their schedule to the toughest opponent. So, it's definitely 0-100 to 100 for South Carolina going into next weekend. But it was, a, it was a good weekend for South Carolina to bounce back victory, blowout victory at home after a really tough loss to North Carolina. And Linsky is definitely the future. And, of course, we already know that Jake Bentley is very likely to redshirt this season, and which definitely tells me he's going to redshirt and then transfer somewhere else next season. So, this is – this is Helensky's team now, and he is going to be the starter from here on out. Yeah, that was the report um, I saw earlier on the Twitters. Um, where would you go if you were Jake Bentley? I mean, if you can get him in at Oklahoma, absolutely. You want to go? You want to go to Oklahoma? Yeah, I was. Uh, looking, I, mean, I was looking at. I think the best option. Yeah, the best option for Bentley is to go somewhere that you know has a productive offense. You know, and a really good offensive-minded head coach. I mean. Even if he went somewhere like Houston, play for Dana Holderson, that'd be good for him. He just needs to go somewhere, or even Mike Leach at Washington State. I mean, just go somewhere that could use a uh, a quarterback in a passing system. So yeah, it, just those are just examples I named up. But just some so a situation like that where you can put up some good numbers and uh, maybe have a chance to going into the NFL draft. Yeah, I was looking at Oklahoma's QB commits and roster to see who was going to be in line after. Uh, Hurts, and I, I don't know the guy's name because I can't remember it, but there's a five-star they recruited either last year or this year, 2020 class that – I think it's 2019 class that's there now, so he's a freshman. He's probably redshirting. So, unfortunately, I don't think Oklahoma's going to be it. But, yeah, there's still plenty of high-power offenses. Uh, maybe even a little Memphis if we can get rid of Brady White. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. I mean, even a place like Memphis playing under Norvell would be greater. Maybe go to UCF. <laughs> I mean, yeah. UCF seems to love to take transfer quarterbacks from Power 5. I mean – Bentley's going to have some options, I can guarantee you. I mean, he's he definitely has all the tools to be a really good quarterback. I just don't think he's in the best system at South Carolina. I mean, whatever offense that Muschamp intervenes with, it turns to shit. So I think if Muschamp can just take his hands off the offense and let his offensive coordinator do his job, they might be a lot better. Back up away from the offense. Exactly. Uh, Holt, I'm ready to hear from the official Keyshawn Vaughn apologist this week. Um, well, I don't really have too much to say. Um, obviously Vanderbilt lost a lot of offensive linemen last year and, you know, they lost their quarterback as well. Um, but I will say, I mean, Neil did play a really good game last week, uh, 378 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Um, but they're just not really able to get the running game going right now. I mean, it's kind of tough to see. I thought that going up and playing Purdue would, uh, give them an opportunity to get that running game going, but they just, they weren't really able to, um, they also tried to get him involved a little bit in the passing game, but just weren't really able to get him going. And, uh, you kind of hate to see it because, you know, obviously we're all really high on Keyshawn Vaughn. He's our guy. Um, 
but did not play did not play great. And uh, who else did not play great was Vanderbilt defense. Um, after last week when I talked him up and uh, talked about how they played really well against Georgia, especially on third down. Um, you know, they turn around and um, really struggle. Um, Purdue was 5 of 12 on third down, um, which is not amazing. But, you know, they threw for 540 yards in this game. So, definitely um, not very impressive from that Vanderbilt defense. And we really hope to see more out of them. And, you know, and Purdue had really had a lot to prove. I mean, coming off that loss to um, Nevada last week on the last second field goal, and they blew the lead. So, um you know, I mean, you got to give credit to Rondell Moore. I mean, everybody talks about him, and for good reason. He's a great player. You know, 13 receptions, 220 yards, and, um, you know, also had a couple long returns as well. I think one of them was called back. But um, just a really, really exciting player, and obviously I'm also a huge Jeff Brom fan. So, um, great win for them. And Vanderbilt looks to, uh, you know, it, it is good to see, uh, you know, Neil come out and play really well and, you know, Deuce Wallace came in and actually played a little bit as well, and he didn't look too bad. So, um, you know, it's just we'll see. Uh, we'll see with Vanderbilt. They're a work in progress right now, but hopefully they can uh, – that offensive line will start to come together a little bit later in the season, and they'll be able to get uh, get our boy Ke- get our boy Keyshawn rolling. Yeah, they, they always, they'll, they'll get it right for this Tennessee game. Don't worry. <laughs> That's what I always think now <laughs> is that they always, they always come around for this Tennessee game. Uh, last game before we talk about the Tennessee game, I'll stay with you, Holt, because JB's going to talk for 30 minutes about the Tennessee game. Uh, Missouri beats West Virginia 38-7. to Kelly Bryant, who we are high on, uh, threw for only for 150 yards, which isn't horrible, but not great, but had three touchdowns. Uh, Roundtree had 100 yards with a touchdown. Um, my takeaway from this game, Holt, and then you can talk about your takeaway, is not just M- Missouri beat West Virginia. It's more how bad West Virginia is. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that West Virginia is uh, rebuilding this year. You know, obviously, um, Neil Brown, his first season there and losing everything they lost up that offense last year. But, you know, I mean, Missouri really bounced back and they played like they had a lot to prove. They were absolutely dominant um, in this game, especially in the first half. Um, pretty much just did whatever they wanted to. And, you know, Kelly Bryant only threw for 150 yards, but they didn't really have to, to run the ball. I mean, they, they pretty much – or they didn't really have to throw the ball. They pretty much did whatever they wanted in this game. Um, they were able to get Larry Roundtree rolling after, you know, him, you know, kind of slowing down a little bit last week. But uh, I was really impressed with the defense. I mean, that was my biggest question uh, before the season. You know, the offense is, I think, fine. Um, I think the offense was fine after last week. It's the, you know, it's the defense that uh, really concerned me. And the defense came out and just, you know, really just, uh, I mean, just dominate the game. I mean, I don't really know how else to put it. I mean, they shut West Virginia down. West Virginia was finally able to get a touchdown in the fourth quarter. But for the most part, um, Missouri's defense pretty much just controlled the whole game and were able to force some turnovers and just played really well all around. And uh, it's really good to see them bounce back. Um, it'll be keep that up against some other teams in their schedule who may actually be able to run the ball a little bit, unlike uh, West Virginia. You know, I don't have their schedule pulled up in front of me right now, Holt, but I think we had them going like 6 or 7-0 and to start the season, and obviously they lost their first game. So was it – what is it, 6 or 7-0 and until like they really faced a tough team? Yeah, you know, I don't have their schedule in front of me either. I know a lot of you were talking about – I think they were saying 8-0 before the Georgia game. Um, so I guess – I'll pull it up real quick, Holt, so we can talk about it. They could, they could be 7-1 and one going into to the Georgia game now if they're able to kind of keep that rolling. But, you know, I mean, honestly, like – I hate to use, like, a cliche, but, I mean, they definitely need to take it, like, one game at a time because, 
I don't think that defense, you know, as good as they played on Saturday, um, you know, I don't think that defense is um, going to be able to hold up throughout that whole time period between now and the Georgia game. I think they're definitely going to have some games where they, you know, they need to score some points to uh, to win the game. Yeah, they do play South Carolina. But, yes, you were right, Holt. It was um, eight games before the Georgia game, so they could have potentially started out 8-0 for the Georgia game. But a lot of these games aren't necessarily easy games either, just like you're saying. South Carolina, um, that is at home, so that's not tough. Um, at Kentucky – or, excuse me, South Carolina's not easy is what I'm saying. At Kentucky, which isn't going to be easy. Um, and even at Vanderbilt could be kind of a trap game too. You never know with that one. But let's move on to the game of the week, um, which was the BYU-Tennessee game. Um, JP, when I tell you oh, – Is that the game of the week, Alex? Not official. In my mind, it was because I, I was – I know this sounds crazy, but I was actually more excited to watch this game. Not not that I was rooting against Tennessee, but it's almost like it's like a um, curiosity. Well, it's like a drama, JB. It's like a high stakes drama you're watching. It's like I, I would compare it to whenever whenever the Browns had like their losing streak going on. And I'm not trying to say anything bad. I mean, it's just it is what it is. It's like when the Browns had their win lose streak going on, and like they they were really close to winning a few different games, and you were just watching to see how they were gonna like screw it up or something at the end. And that's that's kind of how I was watching this BYU Tennessee game. This game was right. going on at the same time as the LSU Texas game, and I was actually more interested in the BYU Tennessee game just because I was kind of like, okay, like Tennessee's fired up. They look like they're gonna win this game. I'm trying to figure out how they're gonna close it out. Just make sure they close it out because. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have cared if they won. Um, I wasn't rooting against them necessarily. I was just wondering what was actually going to happen. Um, they they looked good going into the game. First quarter, the the fans were still there, which that's one thing we should one thing we should talk about. JB is that no matter how much Tennessee fans shit talk about how much their team sucks and how much their coaches suck, they will be right back in Neyland Stadium on Saturday, screaming their hearts out. Yeah, I mean Tennessee fans are arguably the most loyal fans in the conference. I mean, they've been through a lot in the last decade, and they still pack that stadium no matter how good or bad the team is. But uh, that, that, that was one of the good games of the week. But also we have the slow smoke game of the week, Arkansas Miss. We'll talk about that after we talk about Tennessee-BYU. I'm not going to talk about as, as much about Tennessee-BYU as you think you I am. I mean, I'm not going to exaggerate and talk about 30 minutes for it. But I did mention you know earlier in the podcast that there was one common denominator – that really held Tennessee back in this game. And that common denominator is uh, Jarrett Garantano. Uh, his play, even though the stats are showing that it looks like a good game on paper, his play is what honestly left a lot of points on the field and kept Tennessee from uh, winning this one more con- convincingly instead of having to uh, play to the uh, final whistle. And that's ultimately what lost the game. They left a lot of points on the field. And uh, if you go back and look at some of the film and some of the uh, pictures and the images of the field that Garantano saw – he missed a lot of wide-open receivers and threw in a lot of double and triple coverages, and that ultimately cost him the game. He also threw a lot of throws late that uh, could have been touchdowns. There was one late in the fourth quarter or sometime in the fourth quarter uh, down the scene that would have been a touchdown, but the defender for BYU ended up coming and deflecting it at the last minute. If, he, if Garantano had thrown it just a half second earlier, it would have been an easy touchdown. So a lot of it goes comes back to Garantano. I feel like I'm picking on him, but I feel like – he was one of the biggest factors in why Tennessee was not able to uh, pull away and prevail against BYU. Uh, I will correct you, JV. It is Garantano now, not Garantano. <laughs> I know. 
I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna switch to the Garantano. I'm just gonna keep on calling him Garantano. He didn't he didn't change it for three years, so that's on him. <laughs> that's what we're yeah. Win, win a few games, and you can change your name, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll wait for that. Um, JB, what I was impressed with was the Tennessee running backs. I mean, they um, especially Eric Gray. I know Ty Chandler had the better numbers, but Eric Gray is only a freshman. He's he's from Memphis, and uh, Memphis did let him slip away, but. I think he has a lot of potential as a running back. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's got a really good uh, crop of running backs with Gray and uh, Chandler. I mean, let's also give – let's go ahead and give some uh, positives for Tennessee from that game. I already went over the negative, but on the positive note, uh, the offensive line looks much better from the previous week. They're able to uh, get a lot more uh, production out of that line, and pass protection was a lot better too. Uh, Jarrett Gar- Garantano was not, not hurt much – as he was against Georgia State. And uh, the defensive line was able to uh, get more of a push and put pressure on the BYU's quarterback game. And also I'll go ahead and make mention that the effort was night and day difference from the previous week. Uh, The effort was there. The defensive line, the offensive line looked much better. Even the defense looked a lot better. And so the uh, breakdown in coverage at the end of the game, all in all, I mean, Tennessee looked a lot better than the week before, but they couldn't finish because they were – not able to put BYU away in the second half when they should have. Yes. Um, tell me what happened on the last play. First of all, what's what's the only thing you're supposed to do in that play is you're supposed to not let somebody get behind you, correct? And uh, the, the play call, I believe, was a uh, cover four setup, and uh, BYU ran four verticals. And uh, there was a little bit of a uh, coverage breakdown between Alante Taylor and I believe uh, Nigel Warrior, and uh, one I let the receiver get behind him, and uh, when he got behind him, I mean he had the open field, and uh, all, and then Nigel Warrior missed a tackle just beyond the fifty yard line that would have brought him down uh, outside of field goal range, and BYU would have had to rush up to uh, clock it, maybe have one more shot, at the, you know, one more play run to the end zone, but yeah, that was just a really horrible uh, execution on Tennessee's part. I mean, I don't want to – I hate to sing out any kind of player, but Alante Taylor definitely missed an assignment on that one, and he's supposed to be one of the, you know, their better corners on the team. And, I mean, I don't want to pick on him at all. I feel like I am. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a team game. But when you – if one player misses an assignment, it can make a whole play blow wide open, and that's exactly what happened for BYU. Because when that play was snapped, uh, the, the it was like less than 20 seconds on the clock, and the clock was running at the time, and they snapped it from inside Tennessee's 20-yard line. So at that time, you feel like uh, Tennessee's probably going to be able to sneak away with the victory. Instead, uh, BYU throws for a 75-yard play and ends up kicking a chip shot field goal to tie it to go to overtime. So it was definitely a huge turn of events. Was this on – this is the same time as LSU, Texas. Was this on the big screen? Did you switch over for, like, the end of the game? Uh, it wasn't on the big screen. I believe it was. So Holt was watching it too, right? Yes. Um, this was probably the one moment of the entire day where my like my jaw literally like hit the floor. Like I couldn't believe like what was happening. Like I, you know, like I, you know, what's crazy is like the drive before they had like a third and you know, I mean not too long, maybe like third and four. Uh, yeah, and they just ran the ball like straight up the middle and punted it. Um, and I thought they maybe could have been a little more aggressive and try to get the first down to end the game. Uh, but Pruitt wanted to um, run the clock and uh, or force BYU to last, use the last timeout, whatever it was, so he could punt it. 
and uh, you know it looked like it was gonna work, and then you know the dude just draws back and they got a receiver wide open down the field. I mean, I just don't know um, how that happens. I just don't, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, I see, you know, I mean, honestly, like I see Pruitt on the sideline like pointing fingers, and it's just like, you know, that's just not what you want to see from your head coach in that situation. I mean, I just. I feel like that's an inexperienced head coach and that's someone who like, you know, doesn't need to be blamed. You know, I mean, you can yell as much as you want, but you shouldn't be out there blaming other people. Um, you know, when you're the head coach at all, you know, it, stop, it stops with you and, you know, you shouldn't be out there like pointing fingers. I, I just don't think that's just, that's not the way to do it. In my yeah. Opinion. When you looked at the replay of Pruitt really lost it on that one play. I mean, I, you can't blame him for it in the heat of the moment, but uh, you saw shades of Will Muschamp when he lost his uh, temper on that play. I mean, I think you can't really blame them for that. I mean, they really, they really and truly had the game won. I mean, all they had to do is just not screw up and let the uh, BYU receivers get behind them on a cover four, you know, well, you know, four, um, you know, defense, you know, four guys in the secondary covering deep and just letting players stay in front of you. And they couldn't even let that happen. So it was just all in all a uh, poor execution. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you really can blame the coach on that. I think you just have to blame the communication on the field for how that uh, turned out. Yeah, and I remember when Pruitt got the job, we asked is, uh, we actually asked a question on this podcast, is Jeremy Pruitt going to be closer to Kirby Smart or Will Muschamp? And, um, I mean, honestly, so far, he's actually been even worse than Will Muschamp. I mean, at least Muschamp had that really big second year where he went to the Sugar Bowl. Um, You know, Pruitt right now, I mean, it looks like Tennessee still has a long way to go. And, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily, like, going to get fired this year. or anything like that. I'm not really sure how much danger he's really in. Um, you know, I think if they go like, you know, one and 11 or two and 10 or something like that, I think it's possible, but you know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to get fired this year, but they definitely have a long way to go. Yeah. And they got a lot of improvement to make. And honestly, at this point if Tennessee were to win six games, it would be a miracle. And then, uh, I think a lot of people in the country and Tennessee fans would probably be back uh, on the Pruitt train and thinking he might be the guy. Because if you go from – if you in six games after that, after the adversity they face, you would almost call it a, you know, 180 turnaround. But, I mean, right now, as you look at it, they're probably a three- or four-win team, which is definitely worse than last year. You you look at that and say, yeah, if they do go six six wins now, then, yeah. Then he's actually a good coach because he said – you could say, like, he made adjustments, you know, a, not right. even halfway through the year, so he's a good coach. Uh, yeah. But we'll see. But <laughs> what what I want to ask both of y'all, since y'all were watching it, um, I actually it'd be fun to watch both of y'all watch that game because, like, whenever I was watching, I was yeah, not cuss words like, oh shit, it's about to happen, it's about to happen. Because you watch that live and you think he's actually about to score a touchdown because it didn't look like anybody was going to catch him for a while, and then I forgot who the defender was there ran him down finally, but it really looks like he was about to just score a touchdown, which had been – I mean, the loss is a loss, but that would have been even worse if he had scored a touchdown because then you don't go to double overtime. Um, Holt, did you think he was going to score a touchdown? And did you try to, you know, tone it down a little bit watching the game or that play just because you knew JB was there and, like, you didn't want to, like, you know, make him mad or anything? No, I mean, honestly, like, I, I was literally speechless. Like, I mean, literally, like – my mouth was, like, wide open, like, on that play. Like, as soon as he caught it, like, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe, like, he's like – I mean, I thought he was about to score for a second, too. Um, you know, I mean, once – you know, I mean, once, uh, 
you know, he was running for a minute or two. I realized how slow he was, and I knew he was definitely getting caught by somebody. But, um, you know, I remember that he played for BYU, so I knew that he wasn't going to outrun anyone who played for Tennessee. But uh, anyway, like, I just, you know, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was a surreal moment for me, honestly. Like, I, I honestly, like, could not believe what I was watching. I mean, that was, like, an incredible play. Um, you know, I, you know, what's crazy is, like, the play before, um, I was sitting there, like, uh, there's, they showed the BYU's quarterback's mom in the stands, like praying or whatever. And I was like, I was like, man, like no offense, but your team has like no shot of winning this game. Like, you know, you can just like, you can just like stop with that. Like right now. Cause like y'all are like inside the 20 with no timeouts and like less than 20 seconds in the clock rolling. Like, like y'all are not going to win this game. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, uh, I don't know, you know, and it sucks. Like, you know, because I want to hate, like, Tennessee so much. Like, I've always enjoyed, like, watching them lose. But it just sucks because, like, JB's my friend, and I know he's miserable. So, it makes me, like, feel bad for pulling against them. JB, when you were watching, were you actually mad at the game? I know you're, you're talking about how you're apathetic now. But were you – are you at the apathetic point where you're almost, like, laughing at, like, how crazy it is that Tennessee let BYU come back and win that game? I mean, I really didn't have a reaction to that moment. I think I let, let out maybe a, a – very soft, uh, you know, laugh about that. But Hulk can probably tell you, I didn't really have much of a reaction at all. It's like Tennessee has had is invented and keeps inventing ways to lose yeah. a football game. And that game against BYU has just showed another way of how they can invent new ways to lose. It, it is entertaining. Uh, have you heard the the strategy, or yeah, I guess it'd be strategy, and what in college when you are beat down the field like that and the game is on the line you're about to give up a touchdown just go ahead and like tackle the guy get your pass interference because it's only 15 yards at that point and they're still going to be ha- be up against the wall to win the game well it was impossible at that point because the uh, defender uh, was beat yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he was already he had like five or ten yards on him and he was completely beat so there wasn't even a chance to even try to get a pass interference in that time I was listening to a ball reporter actually you probably know him Wes Rucker I think that's the name. He's like the 247 guy in Knoxville. This news paper reporter. I forgot it was uh, what, Knoxville News Sentinel. You know what I'm talking about, JB? Yeah, yeah. He uh, was – Best record. Yeah, yeah. He was on uh, Memphis Radio today. And he was talking about – because this all comes back to Pruitt and people are talking about, like, what's what's his future look like? And most people are saying, yeah, like, God, he's, you know, he's, ha- he's off to a really, really rough start first two years. But – it's just gonna be really hard for Tennessee to fire them, just fire him, just because they're still paying Butch Jones a lot of money from his buyout. And then this is only his second year, and Philip Fulmer made the hire, like this is his guy, and Philip Fulmer's AD, and you know Philip Fulmer ultimately have to swallow his pride for him to be for him to fire him in year two like this. Um, so most people don't think it's necessarily going to happen, but it obviously could happen if what happened, uh, like Holt was mentioned, they go like two and ten or one and eleven, something crazy like that. That could happen, but um, he. What I also want to bring up is Wes was talking about that uh, Bush Jones. He still believes, or not Bush Jones. I mean, he, he still believes Pruitt is better than the last two coaches they've had, despite what's happened on the field so far. And just because, just I guess, just because he he has he brings a really high reputation. And he's been good everywhere he's been before Tennessee, right. even though he's not a head coach. Yeah, to, to break it down, I would – I mean, I feel like we're spending a lot of time on this game. We still got to talk about Arkansas Ole Miss, but I'll, I'll leave it at this. Uh, Pruitt is a better X's and O's guy 
than Butch Jones and Derek Dooley. And I staff that he's assembled is better than Butch Jones and Derek Dooley's staff. The biggest issue, though, is that being a head coach, you're, you got to manage everything. You don't just focus on one thing or, you know, one side of the ball. Like, he's the CEO of the program, so he's overseeing his a staff. He's overseeing uh, his coordinators. He's got to make game-time decisions. Uh, he's never had that kind of experience. But as far as X's and O's are concerned, he definitely knows football better than Butch Jones and Derek Dooley. But to run a program, it takes actual skill, and he's got to learn that skill. And there could be a little bit of learning on the job. Uh, I mean, that, maybe that's the hope here is that you know, this is a rough learning curve year for him. And then, you know, year three, once they once he gets all of his guys in, that he could have a little bit more toughness to the program and they could actually have some kind of winning culture. Because I, I think they just really don't know how to win right now. That's the, kind of the problem is that they haven't won consistently in so long that it's just it's tough, tough to figure out how to close games. Broken culture. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, JB, Arkansas Ole Miss, and we did talk about this at the very beginning, but if you would like to talk a little bit more, we can, JB. We also haven't talked about Kentucky, Eastern Eastern Michigan, which I don't know how much time we want to spend on that either because I don't know how much you could really pull out of both of those games. But um, I'll let you have the floor with Arkansas Ole Miss, JB, since you want to talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, I mean, I think Holt and I both equally want to talk about it. Holt saw it a little bit more than I did. But the biggest thing I noticed is that that Arkansas offense is absolutely horrible. And uh, they got a long way to go. <laughs> I mean, Holt will definitely say the same thing. Uh, Matt Corral definitely looked a little bit improved uh, against Arkansas, going up against Arkansas's defense. Big game, too. And uh, this was really a uh, crossroads game for both teams. And Matt Luke uh, winning this game against Arkansas in a convincing manner, I think, buys him some more time this year this game and start with 0-2 start. Uh, things would have been looking really dismal in Oxford, but right now they're potentially staring down a 3-1 and start, and uh, this definitely buys uh, Matt Luke some more time. On the flip side for uh, Chad Morris, uh, the progress uh, is not being seen yet. I mean, I know some Arkansas fans are angry about some of the stuff we tweeted, and uh, we're not trying to stir up anything with the Arkansas program. We're just calling it how we see it. And so far, uh, the Arkansas offense doesn't really look much improved from last year, and all you want to see is just a little bit of improvement. I mean, I like it. We even talked about in the preseason that Arkansas is still one year away, but we said that they're probably still about a four or five win team. And uh, as of right now, I don't know if they are a four or five win team. They might be even worse than that, which is going to be just maybe marginal improvement from last year. But they'll they'll mention Arkansas fans, and you can see it um, obviously on the internet that they're recruiting really well, and we knew this was going to be tough. Like you said, this is gonna be a tough rebuild job just because you're you're meshing two different, completely different styles. Uh, you are. especially on offense. You're you know, Bielema had the round uh, ground and pound game, and then Chad Morris has the air raid game, and those two types of players are different uh, in how you recruit them. So, um, as bad as they are, as long as you're patient with Chad Morris, we really won't be able to tell until year three or year four. Yeah. I think. Right. Right. And. And I, I said in the Arkansas preview that for Arkansas fans to be patient, and so far I would say the majority of the fan base is patient. But even when we made that tweet, I mean, there were definitely some Arkansas fans that, uh, you know, they're not going to maybe admit it, you know, out loud. But there are some that have lost a little bit of faith in Chad Morris. But I still think he still has the majority of the uh, fan base behind him. And, and they should be. I mean, it's still – it's a long rebuild project for him. I mean, he's completely flipping uh, the team from, you know, one – one offense to another offense, and he doesn't have the personnel 
to run it the way he wants to run it yet. Paul, do you have any special takeaways from this game that hasn't already been said? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about the we haven't really talked about the Arkansas quarterback situation. And um I mean I just think it's pretty obvious that Nick Starkle is needs to be the guy going forward. Um, you know, I mean great. He definitely has had, you know, his fair share of struggles in the first two games, but you know, Ben Hicks just is not the guy. I mean, he's just he looks completely lost out there. Um, he was not necessarily a great quarterback um, when he played at SMU. Um, just because he's familiar with the system doesn't make him, you know, good enough to play in this league. And I'm not trying to be, like, you know, too critical of him or anything like that. But through these first two games, he has really not shown anything to make me believe that he's the quarterback for this team going forward. I think it needs to be Starkle. I think Starkle's the guy. He was 17-24 for 200 yards and a touchdown, you know, which, you know, not – unbelievable numbers but considering he came in off the bench to do that um is definitely pretty impressive and they got to get Rakeem Boyd going I mean he he had a decent game but not you know not up to standards for him you know you definitely expect uh against that Ole Miss defense to be able to run the ball a little bit better than that and um you know as far as um if I could just give my two cents on the Chad Morris situation right now I mean you you have to give him time and um you know you would definitely like to see a little bit more um, early on, uh, I definitely have my questions about him as a coach long term. Uh, but you know, you can't if you're a school like Arkansas, you can't just be you know firing coaches um, two years in, especially when there needed to be a rebuild like this. And uh, the good thing is he is recruiting well, and um, you know at the very least, if a couple years down the road you do have to get rid of him, at least you're in a position where you have a talented football team. Um, if he was playing like this and not recruiting well, then I would be a lot more concerned uh, because that can really pull down your program um, when you're not recruiting well. But, you know, at the very least, he's recruiting well. And a couple of years from now, if he's still not getting the job done, you can get rid of him. And at least the new coach will have a talented football team to take over and you all have a huge long rebuild. But that's all I have to say about that. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Um, talk about national games for just a few minutes. Um, the biggest one that sticks out in my mind, there's a lot here. Um, my biggest takeaway from national, I, there's two, actually, I, I changed my mind. Um, Maryland scoring whatever it was, 60 points on Syracuse and winning by 40. Um, I think it was pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, Mike Loxley, I don't know if I said that right, but the Alabama yep, offense, right. all right, cool. I'm, I'm improving here. The Alabama offensive coordinator, I wasn't sure if he was going to be a good coach just because he was pretty horrible at New Mexico or wherever he was before he was a head coach, um, is proving to be a great, really good offensive coach, at least. Um, like he was at Alabama. You know, you think at Alabama that it was just Tua and great players, but he's proving that um, he's a good good offensive coach all around. The other one is, um, I don't think as many people are talking about it because I feel like a lot of people were sleeping, but California actually beat Washington 20-19 very late on Saturday night. And that was a huge upset because California wasn't supposed to be really that good this year. And Washington was supposed to possibly represent the Pac-12, then were Utah, and um, big upset. So those are two games I had in my mind. What y'all got? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a – there's obviously a two-hour lightning delay in that game. So it was already starting late on the West Coast. Um, and then, you know, we talked about – uh, you know, Jacob Easton a little bit last week. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm smarter than both of y'all, but I did say before the season started on the Ole Miss preview that y'all are sleeping on California a little bit. 
They had the best secondary or one of the best secondaries in the entire country. Um, and I feel like y'all kind of just dismissed me and y'all kind of just acted like I didn't know what I was talking about and I needed to, uh, you know, go slow smoke, you know, whatever I was smoking somewhere else. And um, I just want y'all to know that uh, I didn't forget that. And I was right and y'all are wrong. And uh, here we are. Yeah. Good for you, Hope. You were um, – You want you... a cookie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we got – there's two other games that Alex said I was intrigued about. I know you mentioned Syracuse, Maryland. We mentioned uh, California, Washington. Uh, one of them was uh, – two of them were uh, thrillers. Uh, one of them was Nebraska-Colorado, in which Nebraska blew a double-digit lead. Uh, they were up 17 points at one point against Colorado and uh, lost that in overtime on a, on a uh, missed field goal that they couldn't convert to push it to another overtime. And then we also had the uh, Army-Michigan game in which Army uh, was able to keep this game close throughout. It looked like Army was going to win it. But Mich- but Jim Marble, as usual, escapes by the hair on his little chinny-chin-chin and is able to keep his team undefeated. But, man, there's some definitely some uh, issues in Ann Arbor uh, that I think we're not really noticing, especially with the uh, production of the offense. Shea Patterson – does not look really any better than he was last year. And the offense looks stagnant at times. And it's not a good look for a Michigan going forward when they go into conference play. Now, I think everybody's noticing that Michigan's not doing well right now. I mean, they're winning, but they're not <laughs> winning yeah. at a level to where people think they can beat Ohio State in the Big Ten or even Penn State. Or right. right. And I'll give you a little dark horse in the Big Ten. It was a dark horse I called early uh, in the preseason. And I was really high on them in the preseason as a potential dark horse, and they look good so far. And that's the uh, Iowa Hawkeyes. They had a shutout Rutgers, uh, 130. Really like Nathan Stanley. I really love that defense from Iowa with uh, Phil Parker. Always had consistent defenses at Iowa. Watch out for Iowa to uh, be a player in the Big Ten this year. That'll definitely so, be a pick you know, like, Or the fact that Kentucky's quarterback is out for the season. What's that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, what happened? So, don't much, know, so much disrespect. Since, uh, you know, this is the Kentucky Disrespect Podcast, um, we can finally talk about, I guess, that Terry Wilson um, injured his knee, I believe, and is out yeah. for the season. Um, so, definitely a tough blow there. <laughs> um, Sawyer Smith come in and throw a couple of touchdown passes, but um, I believe he transferred from Troy. <laughs> um, so he'll be the quarterback going forward and uh, kind of a tough break for Kentucky. Terry Wilson looked like he had improved pretty well in last season, but, you know, uh, luckily Larry Smith has some playing experience and um, both those running backs, uh, Cavassia Smoke and Rose, both look really good so far. So um, they're definitely going to have to be leaning on that running game uh, going forward this year. Last couple of things before we go. Uh, JB, give me your top Heisman candidates right now. Uh, there's a few. Um, you got to go with uh, Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Joe Burrow. I think those three right now are your uh, undisputed top three candidates in most people's minds. Holt, do you have anybody different? Um, I mean, besides Colin Hill, the best running back in the country. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is the best quarterback award now for the Heisman. I feel like that's just been the way it's been for the last – Running backs can still win. Running backs can still win. They, they can, but – it's fewer and far between. It usually goes to the best quarterback in the country now. I mean, you got to give some love to Sam Ellinger. I mean, he played really well. Not only did he throw for 400 yards, but he also was their leading rusher for Texas. Um, they really have, like, no running back now. So, um, 
You know, I mean, he's pretty much having to carry that offense by himself. So you got to give some credit to Sam Ellinger. LSU's definitely a really good defense, and um, I thought he definitely played well. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess maybe there's some few other people that I'm I'm leaving out. You kind of put me on the spot with that question. I was not ready for it at all. That's um, good. You know, I'm sure there's some other people. I mean, Justin right. Fields has looked really good so far. Um, I actually have a really good what a chicken, and it, it actually goes right with my one last week. I don't know if JB's got one right here or not. Uh, I mean, the what a chicken, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I already gave it to Tennessee the week before from the Georgia State game, but the what a chicken this week would have to go to Alante uh, Taylor for his busted coverage. Yeah. Well, mine is uh, – it actually goes right along with mine last week. Um, this week it's going to be uh, – I'm not even going to say his name right, but Mike uh, Vietor. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? I That's don't even correct. know. Um, but can but, you guess uh, who that is and what he did? I would have no clue. JB would, though. Well, it goes off of – do you remember who mine was last week or what it was for? Oh, JJ, it was the – yeah, yeah, yeah. It was but, Northern Iowa, right? Yeah. So, do you, do you remember what he did, though? He, they didn't go for two. All right. <laughs> well, um, this guy is the head coach for – Louisiana Monroe, the Warhawks, who uh, had a huge comeback uh, in the second half against Florida State to uh, force overtime. And uh, Florida State scored in the – I don't know which overtime it was. It was like the second or third overtime. Um, probably the second, maybe the first. I don't know because we're still kicking extra points because that's the point. But anyway, Florida State had scored in the first. Uh, they had the ball first and scored, kicked the extra point. And then Louisiana Monroe scores – and uh, they decide, um, you know, they're going to trot the, the extra point unit out there. And uh, instead of going for two, and like I always say, when you're the underdog, you definitely go for two. And they decided to keep the extra point. And uh, then they missed it, and they lost the game. So um, that's just what happens when you're the underdog and you don't go for two. You lose the game. <laughs> Willie Tiger is like the worst coach ever, man. I mean, I'm not going to say the worst coach ever, but he is – not a good coach. Yeah, you know, I'm definitely not impressed with Willie Tiger. I think he could definitely get a little bit more. Um, he could definitely get that program going a little bit more. Um, I really like the offensive coordinator hire bringing in um, Kendall Browse, but unfortunately they really did not they, – they really underestimated what effect that was going to have on their defense. Um, when you have an offense coordinator like Kendall Browles who scores really fast, you know, your defense is going to be on the field a lot. And um, if you're not forcing three and outs on defense, then your defense is pretty much just going to be out there all day. So um, that defense has been getting worn out and teams have really been able to take advantage of them in the second half. And then teams have been able to make adjustments, uh, you know, to Florida State's offense in the second half. So that's definitely something to watch out for going forward. And, you know, I didn't really mean to talk about it this long, but – I just really wanted to – I just really want to sell my point that, like, when you're the underdog and you're in overtime and you have a chance to go for two to win the game, you always go for two to win the game. And when you don't, you lose. So, that's the lesson. That's the moral of the story. And that's what I want everyone to take away. Uh, ULM's coach, what a chicken. Well, you definitely go for two in Xbox, or at least I do, all the time. Yeah. And, and you, also did it, you also did it in real life. In real life. In real life, yeah. Um, last question before we go. Um, as a question to both of you, I guess, is Central Florida still the best group of five team or is there a better team in the running, at least 
maybe Memphis, maybe not, maybe another team. You can say who are you thinking. I mean, I think Boise's looked pretty good the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Nevada, maybe. Except for Nevada lost by a lot. No. Again. no. Yeah. Did no. you see the score of the Nevada award? Yeah. Like yeah. So you might just crack that really quick. No, that's what I just said. That's what I just said. Except for they lost by like 65 to Oregon. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to go with UCF until proven otherwise. But I don't – I'm still not sold that this USA – not USA. This UCF team is as good as the teams that they've had the last two years. I do think they could lose a game in conference play. Yeah, I was high on Cincinnati until they lost to Ohio State by a lot because UC, Cincinnati was, looks pretty good. And let's not forget that UCF is hosting a big one this weekend against Stanford. Stanford is going to Orlando, going across the country to uh, play Orlando, to play UCF in Orlando. And UC, and uh, Stanford's coming up with a uh, really bad loss at USC, which they got blown out, and they didn't have uh, KJ Costello. So uh, this is going to be a huge game for UCF too. So we'll see how good they are when they play a really solid Stanford team, whether yeah. or not they can still. Yeah, Clay Hill not coming to be the Memphis coach anytime soon if he keeps coaching like that. <laughs> yeah, That's like we got we got to pump the brakes on the Urban Meyer to USC talk right now. USC is looking like a much better team. Yeah, we're definitely going to push the Urban Meyer to Tennessee talk. I'm going to do that on Twitter. I think we'll, we'll get it going in the future. Coach Urban Myers. <laughs> Um, all right. I think that's the end of our show. Had a long one, but uh, it's been fun. We talked about some college football, learned some stuff, uh, some more stuff about uh, Kentucky's quarterback being out for the season and other things, great things. And you always go for two on, on every every overtime if you're on the drug, according to Holt. Yeah. If you have a chance to win the game on a two-point conversion, you're the underdog, you always go for two. That's just always. the rule. <laughs> Thanks Northern, for listening. I was coach, didn't have the balls. ULM's coach didn't have the balls. And you know what? bit both of them right in the ass so no balls thanks for listening and make sure you follow us on twitter at sec we'll do the week three preview soon a couple days see you later thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.